Hey everyone, today we are going to have another long video that is going to be filled with valuable content. YouTube is filled with videos such as 10 things rich people do that the poor don't or 15 things rich people do that the poor don't or something along those lines. Many of them are quite interesting and are fun to watch but they don't really explain the difference. Do you really think that the difference between the rich and the poor is that Poor people watch TV, well the poor don't, or rich people shower more often than the poor. Neither do I. If you suddenly start showering more often or watching less TV, you're not going to get rich. Because the real difference is in the mentality, in the way they play the game of money. So if you want to find out how the game of money works, what habits should you build to become financially independent, what rich people do differently? then stick around because we will answer all of those questions and many more. There is going to be a table of content in the description so you can skip to the parts that you want to learn or come back and rewatch them again. But before we start, here is a little disclaimer. This is not financial advice and everything that's said in this video is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is going to be a really long video. So grab a drink and some snacks and most importantly, give this video a thumbs up and enjoy the video. Number 1. Poor people play defense. If you were to play any game strictly on defense, what are the chances of you winning that game? Extremely low or none, right? And yet most people play the game of money exactly like that. Their primary goal is not to win or to be at the top of the list, but rather not to lose, they just want to pay all the bills and stay out of debt. The problem with this strategy is that when your goal is to simply be above the water, that's maximum what you will get. Of course, some people are a little better than that. They save 10% of their income, invested in the stock market, and just hope that the stock market doesn't collapse so that when they get old, they will have something to rely on. But until then, they will be locked into the comfort zone of a small paycheck. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that, but if your goal is to simply pay the bills, you will just stay wherever you are. If you want to create like real wealth, you should stop playing defense and start playing offense and shoot for the stars. As a wise man once said, if you shoot for the stars, you will at least hit the moon. Next, poor people do not value freedom. When I say freedom, I do not mean living in a democracy or not. Freedom means living the life that you want and not the one that someone else wants you to live. Doing what you want, how you want and where you want. That's why you find a lot of people say, money isn't important, don't make your life all about money. Or the most famous one of them, money is the root of all evils. And yet you find those people working all of their life from morning till evening for some pennies just to keep the bill collectors away from their houses doing the job that they wish they can quit, not only because they hate their job, but also they probably hate their boss. And if they had the opportunity, they would quit the job. That's exactly why money equals freedom. So how do you expect yourself to chase money if you look at it as something negative? Rich people keep getting richer because it gives them even more freedom to do with their lives whatever they want. Number three. Poor people work hard for their money. It sounds a bit controversial, aren't you supposed to work hard for your money? Let me explain. What do most people do if they want to make more money? They work harder to get promoted 
and if that's not enough, they might consider working overtime or getting a second job. The problem with this is that, no matter how much you're paid, at the end of the day, your time is limited. And rich people perfectly understand that. So instead of working hard for their money, they let their money work hard for them. They look at money as a tool that can earn them even more money and not simply a piece of paper they can use to buy whatever they want like most people treat money. Of course, everyone will probably first have to work hard for the money, but it's temporary for the rich while it's permanent for the poor. Once you make enough where your money can replace you, you will have more freedom. Poor people focus on obstacles. One of my friends wants to start a chain of restaurants. In fact, he has been telling me that for the last three or four years. But every time I ask him why he hasn't started yet, his typical response is, I don't have the money and I don't want to get into debt. And that's the problem. Poor people are constantly looking for something to go wrong. In these four years, he could have found an investor or at least saved up enough to start. He hasn't even studied the market. He doesn't even have a plan. He believes that if he gets the money, the rest will somehow magically happen. But what will end up happening is that he will just come across another obstacle that will stop him. It doesn't matter what business you want to get in. There will always be obstacles. There are millions of things that could possibly go wrong. And if you're like my friend who isn't doing anything but complaining about how difficult things are, you're probably in the same dark financial position that he is. Some people have taken this to a different level. Even if they have the money and all the essentials, they will say things such as, what if it doesn't work? What if people are going to know that I have failed? For God's sake, no one cares. Poor people choose to be paid based on time. How often do you hear people say, I deserve to be paid 50 bucks an hour or 60 bucks an hour. I have a degree from such and such school. I work harder than anyone else. I'm smarter and more talented. You know what? No one gives a damn. Would you watch this video because I have spent so and so hours creating it? What matters at the end of the day is that how much value you can deliver. You might be working harder than Jeff Bezos, but Bezos will be making $4.5 million an hour and you won't. Because while you're complaining, his company is providing value to millions of people all around the globe. Poor people resent rich and successful people. The other day I was watching an interview with a successful and quite famous entrepreneur. Then I scrolled down to read some of the comments. And a lot of people were like, this douchebag doesn't deserve to be you on this channel. He's a scam bag and something like that. And it really freaked me out. The guy worked hard to be in that position. Even if he has inherited some of his wealth, he's probably much more disciplined than you. Some people seem to have some kind of moral obligation to hate the top 1% or certain rich families. Here is a life hack. Instead of hating them, how about you join them? Poor people think they know everything. This is the most ridiculous one. What do people do when they face financial problems? They complain about it. There are a bazillion number of things you can blame, starting from politicians that run the country and ending it with your boss. But if you tell him to pick up a book and learn even the basics of money management, he will tell you, this is my money and I know how to take care of it. 
Well, if you have figured everything out, why on earth are you always broke? And then they will give you even more excuses. And it's not only about money, but everything else. Haven't you realized that when people get into an argument, they try to prove that they're right, even if they're not, instead of trying to learn. And to be honest, I've had this mentality back when I was a teenager. I was quite stubborn. But then I realized that if I keep going like this, I am never going to grow. So I stopped acting like I know everything and started paying attention to my flaws and how can I fix them. Poor people mismanage their money. Knowing how to manage money isn't something you're born with, but rather you have to learn it. Just because you're making money doesn't mean you know how to manage it properly. And the problem is that people think that if they start managing their money, it will restrict their freedom. They don't want to stick to a certain budget or think hard before buying something. They finally got their paycheck and now they want to enjoy it. But the truth is, if you do not manage your money, you will never achieve financial independence. And that short-term feeling of mindless satisfaction isn't real freedom. And secondly, people think that you need to make a lot of money to manage it. Trust me, it gets way more difficult than you think. And if you can't even handle your paycheck properly, do you really think you can manage 10 times that amount? By now, you probably already have realized that what makes poor people really poor is a poor mentality, and not having money is one of the consequences of that. The good news is that you can change your mentality, but that doesn't mean the next day you will be sitting on a pile of cash, no. But slowly, you will start looking at things differently. You will start thinking differently. And instead of complaining, you will start taking advantage of all the opportunities that you're coming across. And over time, you will improve your financial situation. A wise man once said, the best way to help the poor is not to become one of them. What do you think is the one thing that differentiates successful people from the rest? Or what is the one thing that makes successful people successful? It might seem like there isn't like one thing, but many. That might have some truth in it. However, they all come down to a single character or a habit. If you want to know why most people would never leave the cycle of poverty, how to tell if a kid is going to be successful when he's just 4 years old, and what the rich parents teach their kids unconsciously that makes them successful then stick around because we're going to answer these questions and many more. When we see a successful person, we tend to think that they might be smart, talented or just pure genius. Of course, that's true to a certain extent. Still, the research shows that delaying gratification is the main reason what separates successful people from the rest of us. It's when you resist the temptation of an immediate smaller reward in order to receive a more substantial reward later. It's when you stop scrolling your Instagram feed and get back to work, or stop watching YouTube and start getting ready for tomorrow's test, or hit the gym at night instead of going to a party. The research shows that being able to delay gratification is a great habit. It leads to academic success, physical health, psychological health, and social competence. In the 1960s, Walter Mischel conducted an experiment at Stanford University. In an empty room with nothing but two chairs and a table, the researcher presented a four-year-old kid with a marshmallow and told the children that, here is the deal, 
I'm going to leave the room and you have two options. You can ring the bell that's beside the marshmallow at any point and eat the marshmallow. Or wait until I come back about 15 minutes later and I will get you another marshmallow. So you will earn two marshmallows. Sounds like a good deal, right? The message was smaller reward now or bigger reward later. So what did the children choose? Some children broke down and ate the marshmallow. In contrast, others were able to delay gratification and earn the promised two marshmallows. Michel found that children were able to wait longer if they used certain cool distraction techniques, covering their eyes, hiding under the desk, singing songs, or imagining pretzels instead of the marshmallow in front of them. Or if they changed the way they thought about the marshmallow, focusing on its similarity to a cotton ball rather than on its delectable taste. Here is where the exciting part starts. After many years, in 1981, Michel decided to check out on these kids to find out how they are doing in their lives and if the experiment he conducted can tell us something about these kids. The children who waited longer demonstrated a striking array of advantages over their peers. As teenagers, they had higher SAT scores, social competence, self-confidence and self-worth and were rated by their parents as more mature, better able to cope with stress, more likely to plan ahead and more likely to use reason. They were less likely to have conduct disorders or high levels of impulsivity and aggressiveness. As adults, the high delayers were less likely to have drug problems or other addictive behaviors or get divorced. The experiment went as far as showing influence over their body mass. Each minute that a preschool was able to delay gratification translated to a 0.2% reduction in body mass index 30 years later. On the other side, kids who couldn't wait long enough for the second marshmallow as teenagers struggled to make friends, had a difficult time handling stress, and struggled to stay focused. Does that mean that if as a kid you couldn't wait for a second candy, you're not going to be successful later in your life? Well, the answer isn't straightforward. It's a little bit more complicated than you think. Based on Walter Mitchell's research, self-control or being able to delay gratification is a muscle. You can train it like any other muscle on your body. You might not achieve a huge success instantly, but over the long run, you will be fine. Remember. The reward must have some value to you. Without a reward that's meaningful, providing delayed or immediate gratification serves little purpose, as the reward is not a strong reinforcer of the desired behavior. In other words, if you want to delay gratification, make sure you pick a significantly bigger reward. Let's say you have decided to save money to invest, but then Apple releases a new iPhone that you eagerly want to buy. To avoid the temptation to buy the new iPhone, you have to make it crystally clear to your brain that why saving that money is going to result in a bigger gratification later, such as financial freedom. But in 2018, Tyler Watts, who was inspired by Michel's experiment, decided to redo the experiment and found out that delaying gratification has more to do with the income of your parents. If your parents are rich, you are more likely to wait for the second marshmallow and end up successful later in your life. While if you are born to a poor family, you are more likely to ring the bell and eat the marshmallow. 
There is a fantastic article on it by The Atlantic, but I will summarize it here in short. Watts used a much larger sample, 900 kits compared to the 90 kits that Michel used, and also more representative of the general population in terms of race, ethnicity, and parents' education. They included factors such as the income of a child's household to explain the children's ability to delay gratification and their long-term success. He found little evidence for the idea that being able to delay gratification leads to better outcomes. But rather, the ability to wait for the second marshmallow has to do more with child's social and economic background. Therefore, that background, not the ability to delay gratification, is what's behind kids' long-term success. Here's the experiment. The kids whose mothers had a college degree and waited for the second marshmallow did no better in the long run. They didn't do better in school or in tests or even in their behavior. The same thing was found among kids whose mothers did not have a college degree. But when these two groups were compared together, kids from wealthier households waited for the second marshmallow did significantly better compared to the kids from low-income households. So the researchers came to a conclusion that, for poor kids, daily life holds fewer guarantees. There might be food in the fridge today, but there might not be tomorrow. So there is a risk that comes with waiting. And even if their parents promise to buy more sweets tomorrow, often that promise gets broken out of financial necessity. Meanwhile, for kids who came from families with parents who are better educated and earn more money, it's typically easier to delay gratification because experience tends to tell them that adults have the resources and the financial stability to keep their promise. And even if they don't end up getting the marshmallow, their parents will get them a different suite. There are plenty of other research that proves this. One of them is this book, Scarcity. Why having too little means so much. How poverty can push people to settle for short term rather than long-term rewards. For poor kids, the second marshmallow seems unreal. When a child has a reason to believe that, the first one might vanish right under his nose. Many teenagers often growing up in poverty choose to work long hours in poorly paid jobs to support themselves and their families somehow. Despite barely covering the bills, the teenagers still splurge on payday buying things like McDonald's or new clothes. Other research shows that low-income parents are more likely than wealthier parents to give in to their kids' requests for sweet treats. These findings illustrate that poor parents try to indulge their kids when they can, while wealthier parents tend to make their kids wait for bigger rewards. An ice cream or a Snickers bar might seem foolish, but things like these are often the only indulgence poor families can afford. And for poor children, indulging in a small bit of joy today can make life feel more happier, especially when there is no guarantee of more joy tomorrow. It's something like a cycle of poverty that most people will never escape. If you have clicked on this video, you're probably looking back at the last few months and asking yourself, what went wrong? At the beginning of the year, you have set many new year resolutions. You promise yourself that this year is going to be different, and by the end of the year, you are going to be a completely different person. But that doesn't seem to happen anytime soon. 
I don't really like setting up goals because the problem with setting up goals, especially huge goals, is that it really depends on how you feel at that particular time if you can achieve it or not. It's the beginning of the year, you feel like you have plenty of time and pretty much every goal seems achievable. But a few months down the road, you realize that you actually don't have that much time in the first place. So what I like to do is that focus on the right habits. Instead of setting up a goal of achieving 100,000 subscribers by the end of the year, I would rather set up a goal of uploading videos twice a week and it doesn't really matter how many subscribers I will get by the end of the year. I might get more or I might get less but uploading twice a week seems like a more achievable and practical goal than getting 100,000 subscribers. That's why I would build tiny little habits that I practice every single day. Setting up a goal to read 50 books a year sounds way more exciting than reading a book for 15 minutes every single day. But the second goal is way easier and practical to achieve compared to the first one. So here in this video, I will share with you 12 tiny little habits that you can implement right now. You can easily incorporate them into your daily life and I guarantee you that they will have a far bigger impact on your life than your new year resolutions. So give this video a thumbs up and let's start with the first one. Stretch for 10-15 minutes every single day. Believe it or not, but the speed of your blood circulation is one of the decisive factors whether you will achieve your goals or not. Your blood flow is what makes your body function, even your brain. It delivers oxygen and nutrition to your brain and removes waste. In fact, your brain consumes one-fourth of your blood and if that blood flow slows down, you start feeling lazy, your energy level drops, your willpower depletes, you might even have difficulty falling asleep at night or staying focused. What people don't understand today is that our bodies were not meant to sit all the time. We're like animals who are supposed to run, jump, hand and constantly move. But what we do instead is that sit all the time. 8 hours at work, then a few hours in the car and so on. What happens over time is that your muscles could move, especially around your neck and slows down the blood flow to your brain and makes you less productive. But by being more active or stretching at least 15 minutes a day, you can avoid that. Number 2. Focusing on finishing the task and not working long hours. So here's how people work. You sit in front of a computer, but before you start working, you have to check your phone, see what's happening in your Insta feed. Once you work for a few minutes, you check out YouTube. Maybe right now you should be working, but you're watching this video. I'm not really sure at this point, should I tell you to get back to work or watch this video till the end? But what I can certainly tell you is that you can boost your productivity by giving this video a thumbs up. Wasn't that smooth? Anyways, working for long hours is a waste of time. What matters at the end of the day is the results. So try to work less but more productive. Number 3. Jog every morning. There is a long list of benefits when it comes to jogging. It strengthens your immune system and helps you live longer. But that's not why you should turn it into a daily habit. How you start your morning sets the tone for the rest of the day. If you started with something productive like a 15 minutes of jogging, it will be much easier to move to another productive task. Well, when you lie for an hour before you get up, chances you will be lazy to do something productive are very, very high. Number 4. Journal every morning. Before I start working, I make a short to-do list where I write 3 to 6 things I have to do for the day and always keep the list in front of me. 
If I would accomplish them all, I would consider the day to be successful. It could be analyzing a company, conducting an important meeting, or writing a script for a video. First of all, I have a clear plan to follow for the day. Secondly, after finishing each task, I feel motivated to finish another one. And at the end of the day, if I accomplish most of the listed tasks, I feel a sense of accomplishment that I haven't wasted my day and I did something productive and that pushes me to keep going. Number 5. Don't do or say anything when you're angry. When you get angry, you stop thinking rationally. Your emotional response would most likely turn things worse. Try to remember at least one incident when you react emotionally to something and it ended well. You can't because there isn't. Whether you are in an argument with your partner, parents or some strangers in the streets, always wait until you calm down before taking any action. Number 6. Spend your most precious time wisely. When you wake up and had enough sleep, your productivity is at your highest level. Don't waste that precious time on the least important things. Playing video games, talking to your friends or cleaning up your house is something you can do during any time of the day. But without enough willpower, you can't do creative work. So start your day by working on the most important thing. And as your willpower starts depleting, you can move to other things that require less willpower. Number 7. Don't argue with anyone. It's important to have your opinion, but spending your time to convince people that you're right is a waste of time, unless you're running for the office. It's absolutely normal to have two opposite opinions on the exact same matter, because our opinions are not always defined by facts or the reality on the ground, but how we view these facts does also influence our opinions. And since each of us grew in a different family, with different friends and different experiences, we pursue everything the way we feel is right. So don't waste your time arguing with people. Number 8. Break down every task into small steps. When I started going to the gym, I used to procrastinate. Going to the gym means I have to get my stuff ready, drive to the gym, change my clothes, work out for an hour, take shower, and so on. The task seems so big that my brain would push me to procrastinate. But if it's something small and quick, it's way easier to defeat procrastination. That's why always break the task in front of you into small, many, tiny tasks. It will be much easier to accomplish it. If you have to study, don't think about reading the entire book or studying for the next two hours. Promise yourself to study for 15 minutes and that's it, or finish just one chapter. The moment you start studying, it gets easier to keep it up. Number 9. Stop comparing your life to others. In a forest of 100,000 trees, no two leaves are alike, and no two journeys along the same path are alike. People always compare themselves to others. If he has achieved something by a certain age, then you should too. But the truth is, you are a different person and your circumstances are different. Your journey is going to be different. So stop looking at others and focus on how you improve your life based on your circumstances. According to the Federal Reserve, the top 10% in the US own almost 70% of the nation's wealth. Let that number stick in your head. The top 10% literally control almost the entire country. But that number gets even scarier when you look at how much wealth is controlled by the top 1%. 32% of the country's wealth is owned by the top 1%, which is almost 16 times more than the bottom 50% who owns only 2% of it. 
Wealth inequality seems bad, and ideally, wealth should be distributed equally. However, we do not live in a utopia, and people are different, so wealth equality is something impossible to achieve. You can't reward two people equally when one of them works hard, while the other not. But it's not enough to work hard. In the world of capitalism, what matters more is understanding the game of money. And even if you do not work as hard as other people, you can end up being in the top 10% that owns 70% of the wealth, if you play the game correctly. Here is the beautiful part. Wealth is not something that forever stays in your pocket. It constantly moves. If you want to keep it in your pocket, then you have to keep working for it. Otherwise, someone else will snap it right under your nose. Even if you become a trillionaire, God forbid, 90% of that wealth will disappear and vanish by the third generation. Take the richest man in American history, John Rockefeller. He had an estimated net worth of $400 billion adjusted to inflation. But the Rockefeller family today has a net worth of around $11 billion. And the next generation of Rockefellers will probably won't even be billionaires. Who could have thought that $400 billion will turn to just $11 billion less than 100 years later? With every new technology or change comes a new wave of innovation that transforms a certain industry or the entire world and transfers wealth from one group to another, as it was with the internet for example. Whoever rode that wave ended up making a fortune. Amazon made shopping online so easy that for the past 5 years or so, malls have been closing down one by one. And you do not have to be the first to take advantage out of that wealth transfer. You can enter the game much later but present a better product. Skype was once a dominant video calling app. 10 years ago, no one could have imagined competing with Skype, but today, Barely anyone uses Skype. A company like Zoom came up with identical products but with better features and took the entire industry by storm. Skype isn't a unique case. Yahoo, MySpace, Kodak, and the list goes on and on. In the past, banks were the backbone of financial services. But internet companies made financial transactions so easy that new companies such as PayPal, Stripe, Robinhood grabbed a big chunk of that industry. And a lot of that wealth was transformed to a different group of people. And that's not the end of this industry. People are disrupting this industry again by decentralizing the entire financial market through blockchain and cryptos. And in the next 10 years, people who are billionaires today might barely make ends meet and startups who are working on the next big thing in this industry will prevail. But the question is, how do you take advantage out of this wealth transfer? How do you know which technologies are going to be relevant 5 or 10 years from now? The good news is that there isn't going to be one or two technologies. The world is constantly developing. There are going to be multiple technologies. And that's why you need to learn how to learn. Back in school, you're not taught how to self-educate yourself. The entire point of the educational system is to push you to memorize a bunch of facts for a brief moment to pass a certain test. The moment you leave your examination hall, you forget absolutely everything. But the Feynman technique is the absolute opposite. It's a simple and yet effective way to master anything. Before you invest in a certain company or start a business, 
the Feynman technique will help you to make a better decision. There are three steps to the Feynman learning technique. Number one, pretend to teach a concept you want to learn to a sixth grade student. Let's say you want to invest in Tesla. Take out a blank sheet of paper. At the top, write the subject you want to explain. Remember, you're not explaining to your smart adult friend who is also investing in Tesla, but rather a child who just have enough vocabulary and attention span to understand basic concepts. That will force you to use the most basic words possible, because one of the ways we mask our lack of understanding is by using complicated vocabulary. If you can't define the words and terms you're using, you don't really know what you're talking about. Back in college, I had a friend who barely attended any classes, and before every exam, I would make sure I explained to him the entire subject in an hour or so. And if I find something difficult to explain, I would go back and study it again, because that's where my flaws are. And that's the second step in Feynman's technique. Identify gaps in your explanation. If you can't explain clearly using exact numbers and simple terms how Tesla's autonomous technology, for example, will take Tesla from $500 billion company to a trillion dollar company, or how exactly Bitcoin will rise from $30,000 to $100,000 or a million dollars, then you're not investing, you're gambling. The problem with most people is that they don't go deep into the subject, but rather skim through the basics. Bitcoin is all over the news, so let's invest in Bitcoin. Why would it rise to a million dollars? Because there is a limited number of Bitcoin. Oh really, that's your reason to invest in Bitcoin? I can create a cryptocurrency with a limited number of currencies. Is it also going to worth a million dollars? Well, maybe there is a little bit more to it than basic demand and supply. I'm not saying Bitcoin should worth more or less. The point is, if you can't explain it in simple words, then you're speculating. So go back and read more about the subject, study the parts that you don't fully understand, and then move to the third step, organize and simplify. Now that you have mastered the subject and can explain it to anyone, try to simplify your explanation in such a way that it would also sound interesting. Turn it into a little short story, maybe like an elevator speech. In fact, that's what I did when I was working on my investing course. I've been in the stock market for many years, but when creating this course, I made sure that it's simple, straightforward, and can be understood by sixth grade kid. It doesn't matter if you're a professional investor or have never purchased a stock, this course will give you a deeper understanding of the market. The link will be in the description. Now the question is, why should you follow the famous technique to become financially independent? Blockchain, for example, is now where the internet was in 2002 and 2003. It had its astronomical rise back in 2017 and crashed, but we'll find out the true benefits of this technology in 10 or 15 years. But theoretically, it doesn't only have the potential to change the financial industry, but pretty much every other industry. Back in the 2000s, most people couldn't have imagined what the internet would be in 20 years. And yet here we are, our lives depend on internet. We can't go into the details of how blockchain works, but it's easy to imagine how the world of business will be running on smart contracts, for example. 
But to understand how blockchain could change every aspect of our lives, you have to understand this subject so deeply that you can explain it to a little child how his life will depend on blockchain in 10 years. That's when you will have a million dollar idea for a startup that could earn you more money than you could possibly spend. If you could go back in time to the 2000s, what business would you start? Most certainly an internet company, because the last 20 years were the golden era of the internet, and blockchain is about to have its own golden period. But be careful, because there are a lot of scammers in this industry, especially in the comment section. Please ignore them all and don't tell me that I did not warn you. But blockchain is just one out of many examples. You can apply the same strategy to other technologies and you will find out how they are going to shape the world in the coming future and you will be able to take advantage out of them. How much money do you need to fly private, drive a tiny yacht and just enjoy the pleasures of life without working day and night? How much wealth do you need to accumulate that your only job will be to make sure you invest that wealth wisely and live off the interest? Let's say you need $2.5 million a year, which should cover all of your expenses. Let's be conservative and assume a 5% interest annually, which means you need to generate at least $50 million of wealth. Now the question is, how many multi-millionaires in the US have at least $50 million of net assets or more? Surprise, surprise, not many. There are a total of 89,510 people in the US with net assets of at least $50 million. This number equals 51% of the ultra high net worth individuals all over the world. Over half of the ultra rich people in the entire world are in the US. So what are your chances of becoming one of them? 0.027%. So good luck. The problem is that most people choose a mediocre life and prefer an immediate gratification rather than put in the effort now and be rewarded much, much later. Building wealth takes a lifetime. The overnight success stories you've heard are usually exceptions, or it might have taken these people decades to become an overnight success. But what's certain for sure is that most ultra successful people follow a set of rules and principles that sets them apart and provide them with an unfair advantage to get everything in life. And in this video, we are going to take a look at a few of them. When asking for help, appeal to people's self-interest, never to their mercy or gratitude. So how do most people ask for help? If they need something, they would call their friends, neighbors or anyone and would ask directly for help, but then get disappointed for being always rejected. In fact, the first people you probably call for help is someone whom you helped in the past because you assume that if you helped someone, they owe you a favor. But often people find ways to ignore that. That's why successful people try to align their interest with the person they are asking for help. Once people see that they can get something by helping you, their resistance to your request for help will magically fall away. At each step of the way, you must train yourself to think your way inside the other person's mind to see their needs and interests. Number two, act like a king to be treated like one. If someone is poorly dressed and seems broke and homeless would come and tell you, you know what, if you just work hard and smart, you are going to be rich and successful. What is your reaction going to be? You're not going to take him seriously because he looks broke. 
On the other hand, if you have someone who is driving a Ferrari and dressed properly would give you the exact same advice, you will get excited and take it seriously. And that's how it works all the time. If you want to be treated in a certain way, you have to look in a certain way. Don't expect to be chased by women, for example, when you look like a broke college student. Don't expect people to buy your product or service when you look like you are barely paying your bills. You want people to do business with you? You want them to trust you? You want them to work with you? Dress properly. Talk as if you are that wealthy, respected person. No one is going to take a deep look into your pockets. The impression you give by the way you look is going to determine how people are going to treat you. Number 3. Avoid the unhappy or the unlucky. This one might sound a bit controversial, but it's important. There are people who love to be the source of negativity, trouble, and misfortune. You talk to them for 15 minutes and they will tell you how terrible the world is, how politicians are ripping us off and billionaires are destroying the planet and creating wealth inequality. His neighbors are dumb so he constantly fights with them. He can't find a common language with his parents because his parents are selfish, egoistic people who only care about themselves. So he smokes, drinks, and lives a mediocre life. What's the point of doing anything when the entire world has united against you? Listen carefully. Avoid this type of people. In fact, avoid every person who constantly brings trouble into your life, even if it's your friend, girlfriend, or relative. Never underestimate the danger of infection. Those misfortune amongst us who have been brought down by circumstances beyond their control deserve all the help and sympathy we can give them. But there are others who are not born to misfortune or unhappiness but who draw it upon themselves by their destructive actions. Avoid them at all costs. Number 4. Learn to keep people dependent on you. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was complaining about his company doesn't care about him. I was really surprised because why do you think your company should treat you like an angel when you're just an accountant clerk who just inserts the data into Excel? I mean, how difficult is it to replace you? There are hundreds of thousands of people who are graduating from accounting schools every single year and all of them can easily replace you because what you're doing is not difficult to learn. That's why you have to become irreplaceable, either by doing something that is really difficult to do or if you have an ordinary job, your commitment to your job, your discipline and exceptional communication skills will make you irreplaceable. Make others dependent on you. To get rid of you might spell disaster and your boss won't dare even to think about that. There are many ways to obtain such a position. The easiest way is to have a talent or a creative skill that simply cannot be replaced. Number 5. Guard your reputation with your life. People will never know what's inside you. They will only judge you based on your appearances, the way you look, the way you're dressed, the way you talk and behave. And that's a very powerful tool you can use. Be whoever you want deep inside. But the image that people will have about you is entirely in your hands to control. Successful people carefully craft an image of themselves that portrays honesty, integrity, responsibility, kindness, and so on and so forth, so that when they sell something, you instantly trust them, especially politicians. They might be the worst people in the world, but they make sure to make you believe that they are the best people in the world. I'm not saying if that's bad or good, I will leave that for you to answer. I'm just stating a few facts. Number 6. Play to people's fantasies. 
Reality often harsh and difficult, and people always want to believe that there is a quick way to get what you want. Instead of working hard, being disciplined, just take my 69 steps course, it will turn you into an overnight millionaire, and people buy into that. Let's be fair, that's not unique to the self-help industry. Grocery stores are filled with junk and unhealthy food that are filled with more sugar than you should consume. And as people are getting conscious about their health, companies are coming out and presenting us with healthy alternative junk food with just a different name and calling it healthy. In fact, sugar is named in 56 different names such as dextrose, fractose, glucose, dextrin and many many others. And people buy into that. Like it or not, that's not going to stop anytime soon. Politicians who are going to propose quick immediate solutions to complicated problems will always win. Number 7. Use absence to increase respect. Scarcity creates value. Remember the supreme shirts? There was nothing special about these shirts, but because there were a limited number of them, people stood up in lines for hours and paid hundreds of dollars if not thousands for a single shirt. That's why gold is expensive and diamonds are even more expensive, because they are scarce. And that applies to everything else, including yourself. If you're always around, if you talk too much, people will no longer take you seriously. If you want people to value your presence, disappear time to time. The less you speak, the more unpredictable you become, which makes it riskier to insult you or disrespect you, for example. Everything in the world depends on absence and presence. A strong presence will draw power and attention to you. You shine more brightly than those around you, but at some point, too much presence creates the opposite effect. The more you're seen and heard from, the more your value degrades. You become a habit. It doesn't matter how hard you try to be different. People respect you less and less. It's a game of hide and seek. The seven rules that we have discussed are from the book 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Those who have read the book have realized that already. At the end of the day, wealth is power and power is wealth. The more powerful you can get, the wealthier you will become. But power is a social game. It's the ability to understand people and play to their weaknesses. At the end of the day, once you make enough money to fulfill your basic needs, you will want respect, attention and admiration. And you do not necessarily need money to get that if you know how power works. I have a confession to make. Today I'm going to tell you a story of how waking up at 6am every day ruined my life. No, it's not clickbait. I know that you probably heard stories about how successful people wake up early in the morning and maybe you should too if you want to become successful. But I can tell you that after years of waking up at 6am, my life is worse than ever. And if you're one of those people who is striving to wake up early in the morning, please don't. And those who do wake up at 5 or 6am, probably not as successful as they could be. And it's not because other aspects of my life deteriorated while I was doing better financially. Waking up at 6am ruined everything in my life, including the financial side of it. So here is what happened. For the longest time, I used to think that if I want to become successful, I had to discipline my life, work more hours, stop wasting my time and cut back on sleep so that I could work more. I did that back when I was in college, I continued that habit after graduating and for many years I felt like I was doing better than my peers. But in reality, I didn't see much progress in my life. 
My social life was at its lowest point. I was barely paying my bills and most importantly, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was depressed, I was anxious because even hitting the gym consistently for more than a year didn't help me achieve any meaningful progress. I still was a little skinny guy who desperately wanted to achieve something but never came even close to that. There was something missing, something that held me back for a long time. You won't believe it, but it was sleep. You see, I have always known that sleep is important, but I never took it seriously. I disciplined myself to wake up at 6am every single day, no matter what, even on weekends. I've heard doctors say that you need at least 8 hours of sleep to function properly, but I've always thought that's the lazy way to approach life. I mean, when you sleep, you're not doing anything productive. So I might as well try to minimize the numbers of hours I sleep so that I can work more. And that was my biggest mistake. Because even on the days when I would go to bed after midnight, I would still wake up at 6am. The lack of sleep affected all aspects of my life, especially the quality of my decisions. You see, when you sleep, your brain does one of the most important functions. Throughout the day, you consume a lot of information. Every time you read something, watch a YouTube video or meet people, all that information is usually saved in your short-term memory. Your brain works somewhat like a computer. It has a short-term memory, like RAM, as computers have, and a long-term memory, like a hard disk. Your short-term memory is much smaller than your long-term memory. So whenever you sleep, especially when you are in that deepest level of sleep, your brain reorganizes whatever information you have consumed throughout the day and shelves them somewhere in your long-term memory, based on how important are they. That's why you do not always remember everything you know, but if you think about it, you might remember stuff you have forgotten for years, but are saved somewhere in your long-term memory. When your brain doesn't get enough sleep, most of that information gets stuck in your short-term memory. So when you want to learn something new, memorize a bunch of facts for your exam or take an important decision, your brain can't work at its fullest capacity since it's filled with information that's supposed to be moved to your long-term memory, but it's stuck in your short-term memory. That's why it's almost always much easier to focus or work an hour or two after you wake up. In other words, less sleep equals in a less effective brain. If you're doing something that doesn't need a lot of brain work, then you might not realize a huge difference. But if you need to think or do creative work, then your brain will struggle. So if you want to maximize your productivity, all you need to do is a little more sleep. But it's not just about the numbers of hours you sleep, but the quality of sleep you get. In order for your brain to truly rest, it's not enough to lie down on your bed. You need to get rid of all the possible distractions. If there is a music playing somewhere around you or the lights are on, your brain is going to be active to a certain extent because it recognizes that light. So the question is, if sleep is so important to the efficiency of my brain, why cut back on sleep when I can cut back on other things such as Netflix or all the time that I waste on unnecessary stuff? How many times do you find yourself sitting in front of a computer trying to accomplish something that takes an hour or two, but you stretch it for an entire day and often postpone it to the next day? If you could just focus, put all of your willpower into it, you could finish it in an hour. 
So here is what I started doing. I minimized the number of hours I work. Instead of 14 or 15 hours of work, now I work only 8 to 10 hours at best. And I make sure that I get 7 to 8 hours of sleep a day. In fact, I do not even set the alarm and let myself wake up naturally whenever my body feels like I have had enough sleep. I understand that in the first few hours of the day, my brain is going to be at its peak. So I try to do creative work in the morning, whether it's a company that I'm analyzing or an important business decision I have to take, or I have to write a script for the next video. If I eliminate all the distractions and push myself to just focus on the work that I'm doing, I can get done in 2 or 3 hours more than I would in an entire day. So stop thinking in terms of how many hours you work, but focus more on how much you can get accomplished. If you can get your brain to work more efficiently by having more sleep, there is no point in trying to work more and cut back on sleep. We did not even talk about all the health problems lack of sleep causes, such as cancer, heart diseases, heart failure, high blood pressure, stroke, diabetes, depression, and anxiety, and a shorter life overall. So stop thinking of sleep as something you waste time on, but as a daily investment you have to make in yourself to keep yourself more productive, to be able to achieve more, to be able to make better decisions. You might not be able to afford to turn off your alarm and wake up whenever you want, but you can go to bed earlier. If you have to wake up at 7 in the morning, don't go to bed at exactly 11 pm or 12. You need some time to fall asleep. You also need to prepare your body for sleep. So make sure that an hour before you go to bed, you're not doing anything that could keep you awake in the bed for hours, like lifting weights or eating something heavy. We talk a lot about investments on the channel, and you probably already know that. Often, all you need is one good investment to make a fortune. One good business decision can get you out of that rat race. And if you could improve the quality of your decision by having an extra hour of sleep, I think it's worth it. Try it, I challenge you to try to have enough sleep for one week in a row. Make your sleep the first priority just for one week. That means going to bed on time and making sure you get quality sleep every day. And if you want to realize any improvements in your life, just come back to this video and give it a thumbs down. Yes, I mean it. I never thought I'm gonna say something like that, but it's the time I guess. However, meanwhile, while you haven't started the challenge yet, give this video a thumbs up. You can always come back and give this video a thumbs down. I hope you guys have enjoyed this video. Remember that we have a second channel called Balloon, where I post videos that are not necessarily related to finance, but nevertheless are interesting. If you guys enjoy this channel, you will definitely enjoy our second channel. Just click on the link in the description and subscribe. You guys have always supported me and without your support, this channel wouldn't have been possible. So I will appreciate if you guys help me out with the second channel. Thanks for watching and until next time.